Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I am joined by Luke Fox, once again, of Sportsnet, uh, who covers the Leafs and, and the NHL. And just, I love your work. You re- always have feel like you have a, a pulse on, on the Leafs and the market, and uh, obviously know a lot about the NHL as well. So thanks so much, Luke, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. Happy to be be back. Return guest. I must have done something right the first time. Oh, you definitely did. Uh, <laughs> just... Just before we get into to the weeds of it, I just, Luke, I, I need your phone and I need you to show me all the pictures that you've had, just so guests <laughs> and I kind of know you a bit better, you know, now that you're a recurring guest, you know, we need to feel that sense of, you know, connection. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to airplay it so your whole family can can see my Yeah, phone? exactly. That's, yeah. that's, that's. I'm asking Zoom, I'm putting in a request so I can do that, just just okay. so all my guests feel much more closer. But yeah, Luke, just what do you make? You've written about the Mike Babcock situation, uh, and, and we'll get into that. But what do you make of this whole just a mess of a, a situation in Columbus with Mike Babcock and, as you mentioned, uh, the airplay and uh, the phones? Yeah, it's it's a really wild scenario. The fact that you know it was a controversial hire when they made it. He's been out of the game, but collecting checks uh, since 2019 um, came with a lot of baggage, quite the reputation. But he's won championships, international and and Stanley Cups. And I guess they, based on the people they asked, they thought this was a good idea. So Yarmo Kekalainen and John Davidson. Uh, went with this gamble and my goodness I can't recall a scenario like this where you don't even get to day one of camp let alone preseason let alone an actual game uh, a coach that you spent eight million dollars on originally I'm sure they settled for for less than that but I'm sure he got a, a chunk of it uh, and all of a sudden he's gone and uh, I think there's a lot of takeaways you can make from this uh, one is I think the power of Paul Bizonet and Spit and Chicklets mm. that put this on the radar and, and didn't back down when, you know, Johnny Goudreau, I was in Vegas in the room when, when Goudreau was speaking. When Johnny Goudreau came out and, and said it, his interaction was fine, when Boone Jenner said, you know, nothing to see here, Babcock himself said this was grossly misrepresented, but Bizonet didn't back down. And I think more importantly, the NHLPA didn't just mm. take those statements and shrug their soul, uh, shoulders. They were, you know, Marty Walsh was in Vegas. He promptly, you know, got on a plane and went down to Columbus and the PA was very active. And I think if you're a, a, a player, I think you're probably encouraged by how serious the union heads, uh, Ron Hainsey deserves credit as well, took this situation and, and dug a little deeper. Um, you know, I, I think it's a very, bizarre story uh i think babcock didn't have a lot of friends in in the hockey world and not a lot of people came to his defense and enough people came out there was enough there that you know babcock and the blue jackets met and said it's better if we just you know wash our hands of each other i'll take some money i'll go away quietly uh pascal vincent steps in and uh what a tumultuous start to a season though for a team that that really needs a bounce back hasn't been in the playoffs in a while has young players um you know maybe we look back and say this was a a a good thing in the long run the fact that they didn't you know go into the season with Babcock maybe they get some traction but 
what what a wild story to kick off the the start of the NHL season. You mentioned and touched upon uh, Paul Bissonnette and like he he I guess he reported it. He it was on the podcast, but as someone mm-hmm. in the media, what do you make of of maybe the role of podcasts in terms of you know like myself, but I'm not necessarily reporting on anything, but just in in the hockey landscape and maybe what the future of kind of it feels as though there's maybe a player empowerment kind of movement coming to the NHL a little bit and and we see that with player coach relationships yeah and I, I think hockey's actually been relatively slow um in that regard in terms of the the player empowerment uh it's hard to to be quite honest it, it the players willing to take a hard stance on any issue are few and far between and i understand why that is part of it's you know hockey cultures become ingrained it's more of a team sport than than the other team sports i I really think you need you know everyone on board uh and there's just this tradition of guys not wanting to draw attention to themselves always trying to put the the we before the me and and i think there's there's good aspects to that but i think it can be dangerous when guys are a little bit afraid to, to speak their mind and even even now right like the the player or players on the Blue Jackets are anonymous. So they they didn't feel comfortable going the traditional route. But Paul Bissonnette is, uh, you know, a a former player himself. He has tight relationships. Uh, He's a guy they feel comfortable being candid with or at least texting and and letting this out. Um, So, yeah, it's not the traditional way that that stories get broken. But uh, I think it speaks to the power of of Bissonnette in particular, spitting chicken chicklets in general and you know players feeling a little bit more comfortable getting their their message out there uh you know i, I think it's a good thing and and someone who, who covered the leafs for for you know for a while now what do you make of like the, how does this shape the way the lens that you view the mike babcock era in toronto uh yeah i don't know I don't, that's a good question um I, I mean one of the things that came out is that he had done this practice previously in other markets you know one of the the original screen grabs um that business showed was like he's up to it again he's up to his old tricks mm-hmm. basically so this is this is not something new uh so i i do find that interesting that this story flew under the radar when he was in toronto if he did this with leafs i found it interesting today i was actually at the leafs golf tournament and they didn't make any players who played for Babcock available. Mm. Uh, probably hoping, yeah. you know, not to add fuel to the to the fire that's already burning in Columbus. But uh, we spoke to three players, and and all of them were new to the Leafs, never never played for Babcock. So I uh, hope maybe even as early as as tomorrow, um, when we talk to guys like like Matthews and Marner, I'm sure they're going to get asked. You know, was this this photo sharing thing something that happened during his tenure? there um you know uh i think his reputation was already kind of marred mostly by by the marner incident uh he crossed the line he admitted he crossed the line and blue jackets thought hey let's give this guy a second chance because years ago he he was a cup champion and and that carries a lot of weight in hockey even if it's been a while if, if you're a champion you can find yourself getting jobs down the line um but you know, looking forward, I wonder how this is going to affect, say, a guy like Joel Quimble. You know, yeah. um, you know, if teams are he, he wants back in, 
right? Bill Peters wants back in. He's already back in North America, but I'm sure he wants back in the NHL. And if teams are looking at how swiftly this went sideways with Babcock, if they're like, this isn't, this isn't worth it. Like I know Joel Quinville is a, a champ and, and he can win games uh, and he can get, you know, good results probably certainly knows the game, but maybe it's not worth it to, to from a PR standpoint or even from a, a player relations standpoint to hide a guy who's coming in with a little bit of baggage. Yeah, no, that's really interesting because the, it's, it feels as though this might really muddy the way ownership and GMs look at bringing in maybe coaches that have, have definitely, as you said, tarnished resumes to say the least and in different ways than Babcock mm-hmm. to be fair, like, you know, um, he crossed yeah. the line, but he, you know, we can, we don't have to go Kyle beach or Bill Peters because <clears throat> those are very different in and of themselves. But yes. um, I want to transition as best as I can to the Leafs, the team you cover, uh, so not much happened this offseason. It was quite, quite, you know, like, <laughs> I'm obviously kidding. Just what do you make of their offseason? Dubis gone, new tenure with uh, with Brad Trilliving, Austin Matthews got that big contract. They still don't know about Nylander. Just what do you, how would you maybe assess the Leafs offseason and, and everything that changed and happened uh, this summer? Well, I could just tell you sitting in, in that, that arena after they got swept or not swept but uh eliminated by the florida panthers in, in five games and just you know from the high of being the tampa bay lightning and finally getting that monkey off off their back of winning a playoff series and then to come out so flat against the panthers and not never really truly be in that series there was a feeling like all right enough there needs to be change so I'm a little bit surprised if you were to ask me that night that the only significant change would be Kyle Dubas, that they'd run it back with the coach, that they'd run it back with the the core four. Um, I think I would I would have been surprised if you told me that that night. Now, I guess what they're they're looking to do right now is just change the fringes, change the role players. And Brad Trilliving kind of wasted no time in doing so. Uh, especially when it comes to the forwards, the type of forwards he brought in, in Ryan Reeves, uh, which, you know, comes with question marks. No one really loves the the three-year term uh, for a guy late in his 30s um, who, you know, could be like one of those guys that they say should be healthy scratched if he can't keep up with the play. But he is trying to change the culture, bringing some sandpaper in. Uh, Kyle Dubas kind of tried to do that, but he would do it often at the trade deadline as kind of a patchwork method towards, mm-hmm. you know, the later years, but Trey living's kind of getting out in front of that and saying, no, no, we want forwards with some edge. I'm a big fan of the Tyler Bertuzzi signing. Um, you know, we'll have to see how it plays out, but I can certainly envision his style of crashing the crease and sticking up for teammates and, you know, maybe getting under people's skin and not backing down. Uh, I think he could add to Matthews and Marner on the top line. Certainly he'll find a top six role for himself. I'm a big fan of that signing. And, you know, Max Domi, I'm a little bit more medium on just, I have questions about his, his defensive play, but, you know, I was talking to him a little bit today and and he was saying, you know, I'm I'm a utility guy. I'll play center. I'll play wing wherever they need me. I'm willing to chip in and, and he should be motivated. He's on another one-year deal. So you're getting a, a motivated Max Domi certainly is going to 
bring the passion as the kids say when he pulls on you know that maple leaf sweater that his dad wore for so many years so i, I think that they're, they're coming in with a, a little bit of a noisier group a little bit, bit of a more rugged group up front on the back end i'm not completely sold they have the right mix of defensemen yet and i think the good thing for leaf fans is i think brad true living himself isn't quite satisfied with who he has back there and, and what we see in October may not be what we see heading into the playoffs. I'd be shocked if it is uh, the Klingberg, uh, you know, one year deal, the flyer on him. That's, that's kind of an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, I think it could be boom, boomer bust. Uh, he could really add to the power play and, and generate some goals from the back end, which, you know, as great of an offensive team as they are, they didn't really get a lot of goals from the back end. I think their leading defenseman goal-wise was Lilligren with six, and Klingberg will crush that in a bad year. So uh, he, but he brings defensive question marks. So he's a bit of an interesting one. Uh, yeah, to to essentially go back with the Saints to take William Nylander into the year, even though he doesn't have a contract settled, it's really interesting. Are the fringe changes that Trey Living has made is that enough? uh you know to get this team deep in the playoffs because it's it's no longer about the regular season now like it's getting it's like they they need to make a deep run and even round two won't, isn't enough anymore yeah and, and with that i i just i have like if you look at like the teams that they brought into training camp obviously you mentioned about kyle dubas always changing and adding at the deadline but how would you compare this team to, to other teams? Because I really think on paper, this might be maybe their worst team in a couple of years to, to just ice out on opening night with maybe, you know, holes on depth forwards. And, and, and you mentioned about the decor, like how, and, and even question marks net, um, how good do you think this team can be even with maybe, you know, trade deadline acquisitions? Like, are they still a contender in your mind? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think they're a contender and I don't even know if they need to be as good of a regular season team as the past two years to be a contender because you consider the two teams that are right there at the, the top of the Atlantic division with them. I think Tampa's gotten a little step worse on paper. Uh, you know, we can talk a lot right now until the games start, but on paper, I think they've taken a step back. They lost some some key guys. They lost pretty much their fourth line uh they lost ross colton um you know the salary cap constraints have finally caught up with them and their core is getting a, a little bit older i mean they still have some weapons but boston in particular i mean mm -hmm. to lose your number one center and your number two center this game you need center depth and so i think the, the atlantic division is going to even out a little bit ottawa i think is on the rise buffalo definitely is on the rise detroit I have some question marks about, about their mix, but you know, I, I think the gap between the top three and, and the pack uh, has shrunk this off season. And I think the Leafs are contender to, to win their division. I think they're a good regular season team. I think that I, and I also think he's going to make some changes um, onto the blue line. I don't love the mix of their bottom six. It feels like it doesn't quite have the right pieces that how are they going to fit together? I prefer David Camp as a 4C as opposed to a 3C. They're going to miss Ryan O'Reilly. That's a need. But, you know, very few teams do you look and say, this team has no holes. Uh, I, I, I think they have enough talent that they're still going to be in the mix. I, I'd still call them a contender.
Um, where, where do where do you see or, or where are the sides at in the the Nylander negotiations? Uh, it seems as though they've been all pretty far apart all summer. Just give kind of a little bit of an update where you see that and and what kind of would make sense for both sides. Yeah, very quiet, right? Um, and and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe they're taking one more run at it. Uh, but. but before camp opens. Um, but, you know, he's not scheduled to to meet with reporters on op- first day of camp, uh, which is interesting. He didn't, we, he wasn't available today. Uh, I sure, I'm sure they're trying to downplay the circus that will, will surround him and his, uh, his question mark of a future, but uh, you know, basically it comes down to money. This is a guy who feels like he's been, and, and rightly so, Feels like he his production and his contributions to the team have exceeded his current salary. He is going to get paid, um, and in a negotiation, who a negotiation where the deadline really is until July one, uh, why not start high? Just the, because he's not signed before camp, I don't think Leaf fans need to to panic and jump to the conclusion that that means he's not going to sign. I believe he wants to be here. Uh, you know, David Pasternak, for example, didn't sign till second half of the season last year. Like, it's not that uncommon for a pending UFA to to take things a little bit deeper. My big question in all of this is, does Trey Living still want to keep with this formula that Dubas set forth? Does mm-hmm. he still want, because uh, you're going to, if it's not 10, it's nine something, like, it's going to be a big number. So do you still want to spend that huge of a percentage of your cap on four forwards. They're going to get some relief in two years when John Tavares comes off the books. Um, I could see him resigning, but at a lower rate. But Mitch Marner is going to get a raise, just like Austin did. He may get a higher number than Austin if he signs for longer <laughs> term. Like, that's not out of the realm of possibility. The cap's going to be going up. So I think it's more philosophical. Do you want to be a team that continues to spend this abnormally large portion of your your pie your salary pie on forwards the Leafs spend more on their top forwards than any other team in the league and it hasn't yielded playoff success yet and what 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 would you make of maybe like the little glimpse of Trey Living's ethos so far with the the Matthew signing obviously uh Leafs fans were very excited about it but everyone looks at the term everyone looks now he's the highest paid player in the NHL uh what can we kind of maybe glean from that from a from a management perspective well, he he said on the very day he was hired that this was his first priority, and he and he flew to Arizona to meet with them. Uh, you know, uh, it was didn't play into it the whole picture, um, but he hired Shane Doan, who had mm-hmm. a great relationship with Austin Matthews, uh, and lives in in the same area, right? Like everything has kind of been geared towards I got to lock this guy up, and I don't blame him. I mean, you have a number one center. They another one's not coming along, especially if you look at the Leafs prospect pool. It's not like they have another Matthews on deck. So you got to keep him as long as possible. Uh, I think what's interesting most is the term. Uh, you know, the fact that that Matthews went five years. Um, usually these guys signed for for eight franchise centers that, you know, uh, as long as possible. It gives from a personal standpoint, it gives Matthews another crack to add another payday when he's he's still relatively young. From the Leafs' standpoint, you know, maybe 
maybe you want to revisit where the, the team's at. But right now, you got a, a bunch more years to go for it, and they're in win-now mode. And I think it's a, a positive sign that, you know, we were just talking about Nylander, that you remove any doubt about Matthews well before training camp, about a month before. You, you just clear that file. It also, I think, on Matthews, uh, from Matthew's pr perspective, it sends a message to his teammates. I don't want to be a distraction. I I'm on board here. I'm committed. You guys better get on board too. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think from a leader, a leadership point of view, uh, it makes a lot of sense. And from from a business point of view, it makes a heck of a lot of sense for the guy too. And uh, just to go a bit to that, um, moving on to the goaltending, just how I know you wrote a little bit about Samsonov and Wool, just. Uh, yeah. What, what do you make of those two as a tandem? Like how confident do you think the Leafs fans and, and the team should be in those two going into the season? Uh, fairly, but there's question marks. Um, you know, Walls had some injuries in the past. His, he's shown well at the NHL level. Um, in talking to him, I love the kid's attitude. I think he has the right mindset to, to stick in the NHL. Uh, and, you know, talking to, people who know goaltending a lot better than me they like they find he's very technically sound as well so i think all the tools are there but let's not put too much on him yet he hasn't played a full nhl season not even as a backup you know most of his experiences in the ahl the nhl grind for a goalie is is something both mentally and physically and you're facing better shooters um and this media market loves you the fan base loves you when you're winning but if you're a goalie, a young goalie, and you lose five in a row or something, you know, the fans could turn on you. Uh, the media could just call it as, as we see it. So, uh, you know, I think there's uh, cautious optimism with Joseph Wall is, is how I put it. Uh, and it would be fantastic from the least perspective to finally have a homegrown goalie. I, I think they really want that to happen. Um, doesn't help that he's he's dirt cheap on the cap for the next couple of years. And Samsonov is right back where he started. Um, you know, he thought he proved enough to get some term. Uh, they, they ended up taking him to arbitration and maybe walking him out the door as, as a UFA. So I think co cost-wise, I think they have a great tandem. Uh, but neither one has really carried the load. Like even last year, Samsonov, it was his best year. Um, but he still, you know, dealt with some injuries. Wasn't the workhorse goalie that's going to give you 60 games. So between the two of them, and they brought in Martin Jones for insurance as well, yeah. um, it, it might be, you know, I, I think they can get it done. But as has been the case with Leafs goalies past, staying healthy will will be a major factor. How short of a leash does a guy like uh, Sheldon Keefe have going into this year? Uh, I, I'd say that his... Put it this way, I don't think his extension has affected his leash because we're okay. dealing with a cash-rich rich team. Uh, but I, I also think as long as they're in the mix, you know, as long as they're top three seed in the Atlantic, um, they're, he's going to get a leash as long as the playoffs. Okay. Do they lose in? Do they lose in round one? I think he's he's under the gun, and I, I get it from. Living's perspective to give him an extension uh, because he did the same thing when he was hired by Calgary, saved a bullet, right? You don't have to fire the guy. Uh, he got to know him convinced in his meetings with him, which were, were very intense. And he met with a lot of players as well. 
I think that's something important to point out. Like, had behind the scenes, Austin Matthews said, I can't play for this guy or I don't believe in this guy. I think we'd be looking at a different scenario. So the players have his back. They sit, they believe he he's capable and, and you know, that he hasn't lost the room yet. So I think that's important. So the players endorsed him, and it's in Trey Living's best interest not to burn a bullet. Uh, I I'm very curious to see if Sheldon keep changes his ways, both tactically mm -hmm. and maybe how hard he is on his players. Um, now that he has a different GM too, like, Basically, Sheldon said to us that he's looking at this like it's a new job, a fresh start. Mm. Um, so the dynamic is different, right? Um, him and Brad ha didn't know each other at all until okay. Trey Living got hired, whereas him and Dubas went yeah. back like three jobs ago, right? So um, it, it's going to be kind of interesting, that that new dynamic as well. Yeah, and, and with that, like just what what do you make of the Dubas and Shanahan I guess feud might be a good way to put it. Um, and if let's say the Leafs lose in the first round or or lose in the second round in, in the way that the fashion they did last year, is is Brendan Shanahan on the hot seat or is this just MLSC trusts them until they don't make the playoffs? Like when does the culpability go to up top? Yeah, no, I I think I think he should be on the hot seat now. I, mm -hmm. I think I think we've reached that point. Yeah uh you know um uh, now we'll see i'm i'm hoping for a pittsburgh maple leaf series oh my god i think that i think that'd be great theater uh yeah. you know both men are are say, are being relatively polite and choosing their words carefully but yeah there, there's some there's some bitterness on, on amongst this breakup um so and and also just the fact that pittsburgh is in kind of the same mindset. They are totally going for it uh, with an older group, but like bringing in Eric Carlson, like they are all in. So uh, I can't wait for these two teams to face off. Actually, how how many times do you think uh, sports? Is there a is there a Saturday night game between the Leafs and and Pittsburgh? Do you know that? I feel like uh, they I don't I don't know off by hand, but there should be. Yeah. There should be. I'm just thinking about all the 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 camera shots of Dubis up there, and then mm -hmm. there's. Shanahan comes and says hi and it doesn't seem so it looks a bit kind of awkward and all that kind of stuff I'm excited yeah. I'm excited for the hockey season but I have a question for you uh Luke because I, I I truthfully maybe this is my fan perspective but are the Leafs considerably better or even better than the Sens going into this year because I feel the Sens might be <laughs> better than them that I, I'm just being honest I'm looking at the players on the ice but um, just what do you make of that and how excited would you be for a Leafs uh, sense first round playoff? I, I keep thinking about that because that could happen. Well, it would be awesome because I, you know, the, the Scotiabank arena games, the atmosphere is, uh, it's okay. But when the away games, the Leafs away games, when they oh. go uh, to Canada, I know the that. building is buzzing. I love it. And I I've gone to, I don't know a half dozen uh, Leafs-Sens games in Ottawa now. And they're always fun. Even with the Sens, you know, not being in a playoff race, they're still fun. Um, the crowd's really into it. Both teams seem to to feed off that and get really into the game. Uh, and, and it doesn't help that they've had some wild ones too. So yeah. I, I would absolutely love it. I love the fact that the Senators are creeping towards relevancy. I, I think 
Pierre Dorian's done a, a really fine job in going out of his way to lock up this core. We'll see how the core does, but at least he's been decisive and got a whole bunch of talented young guys to commit long-term. And it's like, there's your team, there's your core. Of course, every summer there's going to be some new pieces around it. Uh, but you have a, a really strong nucleus. Do I think they're ready to take a giant step and, and finish ahead of the Leafs this season? I'd be surprised. I don't think the gap is, has shrunk that much. Hmm. I think they're still a little bit young, but I love that the fact that they're in a position now to take a step and it would not shock me at all for them to get into the playoffs. And if it's like Leafs sends two, three seed or Leafs one seed and sends get in a wild card spot, uh, that's going to be an amazing ticket to have. You wrote about the Sanderson contract and, and you talked about Dorian locking in the core. What do you make of that contract? Uh, I know you you liked it for the most part, but what kind of bet are the Sens making on, on with that kind of contract? Well, it certainly comes with some risk, right? Um, I think he's played 77 games, yep. something like that. <laughs> like to hand over that many millions of dollars, uh, you know, it's, it's the opposite of a prove it contract, right? It's like, we believe in you. He still had another year on his entry level when the, when he signed this contract. So those RFA years where he could have still been under club control for a bunch of years, um, usually are cheaper than UFA years, but they're kind of giving him almost UFA money now. Uh, so what that does is it alleviates the pressure of coming to that juncture where you know, you're, you're facing a guy and he's like, I might walk away. And Senators fans don't need to be reminded of the long list of guys who've done that. I mean, it, it just happened with the Brinkett, right? So I think from a, from that point of standpoint, you're, you're, you're just like removing all doubt. He's one of us. I've seen maybe four games of his live and there's no way that kid looked like a rookie. Like, mm -hmm his poise, his raw skills. Uh, I, I'm really impressed by him. I, I still think it's very unique for him to get paid that much uh, with, you know, so little experience. But, you know, uh, I, I like what I've seen so far. This could end up looking like one of those steals down the road. Um, and I think that's that's kind of the GM game. You can't always just let guys play out because then the players have all the leverage. I mean, that's that's what's happening right now with, with Nylanders. It happened with Matthews because they, they didn't so sign for eight years. Um, so at least, you know, you, you know you have this kid in his prime. Um, and, and like I said, you you got a, a number of building blocks in place. And now it's time for them to to actually do it, to take a step. From, from that to maybe the next face of the NHL and Connor Bedard, you, you wrote a little bit about him. Uh, should I should I sell my Chicago uh, tickets this year when they come here to Ottawa because Drake already cursed Connor Bedard? Is that is that <laughs> kind of, is that what 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 kind of expectations do you have for for Bedard this year, Luke? Well, just seeing some of the highlights from the the rookie tournament, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to put a ceiling on this guy. Uh, he's he's just phenomenal. He's never. I mean, the NHL is a different beast. He's never been through the the grind of of all the travel of. A, a more condensed schedule, but anytime that any league this pl guy's played in, even as the youngest guy on the ice, he still puts up points and scores goals. He has, you know, I, I was asked Connor McDavid what, what he thought of him, what stood out. And he's like, it's, it's the shot. Like mm -hmm. a lot of things, a lot of things you can, 
you could teach a kid, but he has the this deceptive shot, a hard shot for a guy who's not huge at all. Um, but he's he's so great at that that he can score from distance. There's not many guys that can do that. And he has, you know, a creative mind. Uh, Kale McCarr was another guy um, who was talking about him. He trained with him at the BioSteel camp in Halifax a few weeks ago. And he said his playmaking is off the charts. Like, just his vision. Like, you don't think he's going to get the puck on your stick? And he does. Now, does he, you know, does he have enough uh, weapons alongside him in, in Chicago? Uh, maybe he re- single-handedly rejuvenates Taylor Hall's career. Like, let's see. Yeah. But, uh, um you know, points wise, I'm really curious to see, you know, I don't know if you're in a fancy fantasy draft, yeah. but uh, uh, I'm in one in a few weeks. And I, I'm really curious to see what round this kid goes in because it, I don't want to put a ceiling on him. I, I, what do you make? Like, do you think it's like where he's talking almost like Matthews rookie year where he gets like close to 40 goals? Cause that's what I'm like. Maybe that's just me being crazy, but I really think that, as you said, the sky's the limit with this guy. Yeah, it's possible. It, yeah. it's possible um yeah that that's probably a a good bar uh yeah. i i was in a a scrum in um at the nhl awards in vegas with connor hellebuck and someone mm. asked him to project bedard's point total for the year and he's like uh probably 60 he's like 60 points probably a good number for rookie and then and then he said uh well he's gonna have to play me a few times and there's zero there so uh, I, I love that that confidence from Hellebuck, but I'm saying this kid gets more than 60. Well, that's a great segue to my Jets. I just want to ask you quickly. I know you wrote just about like the the Shifley and Lindholm situation, but to to focus just on the Jets, like they really feel at a crossroads. It feels as though we say that every year for the past two three years with just the guys that are up and, and that they have to make decisions on where, what do you think happens with Shifley and Hellebuck? Um, because it's guys going into their thirties, but you do you want to lock them up. What's the term? What's the AV? Just what do you think happens in, in Winnipeg? Yeah, I think a lot depends on uh, how the jets perform. Mm. So I, I think if they're not a playoff team, if they've fallen out of the race by the time the trade deadline comes, I think they both move. I okay. Yeah. Uh, now, if they're in it, I think it's a different story because, you know, this team feels like they need to go for it. So if they if they end up having a they're not in full rebuild scorched earth territory yet. And maybe that's because ownership doesn't want to. Maybe they're worried they could lose the, the fan base's attention a little bit um, uh, but- if, if, if they're not relevant. So they keep chasing it. In my personal opinion. I think they've just slowly been getting worse since 2018. And that was the year if they were going to make a cup final. Uh, I'm not a huge believer in, in, in the Jets right now. But, you know, hockey's wild. There's always a couple teams that surprise. So I think if they're in the mix, they'd probably just keep those guys and, and try and do some damage in the playoffs, get some playoff gate. Uh, and then we'll, we'll see from there. I mean, I think Shifley, you know, he has his flaws, but I think he could, could command a pretty penny um that art, article you're referencing it's basically like elias lindholm and mark shifley like if those guys make it awesome. to market they're, 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 there's no others and yeah and there's going to be teams circling like the boston bruins in particular uh what do you just make of like them maybe like with the jets like is it wise at all to just walk them to ufa status because that makes no sense to me 
at all. Like I get, get you want to make the, uh, make the playoffs, maybe make gate revenue, but um, is that, does it, is that just really short-sighted? Well, it doesn't, no, it doesn't make sense, but if you were going to trade them or if you were a hundred percent going to trade them, the time to do it would have been at the draft because now it's most teams rosters are pretty much set. It's a very, it's a much more difficult trade to make at this point. Um, like I said, I, I think it will come down to how they're doing. If they're just a middling team, I absolutely think it makes more sense uh, to manage the asset properly because, you know, you could easily get a bidding war for, for both those guys going. Uh, teams need centers. They need, need stud goalies. Um, so, uh, and even as a, as a rental. I, now, what, what they want to do if they do a trade is they want to, like you get more value in return if the team you're trading them to already has an extension in place, right? Mm-hmm. And it, but um, just on their on their current cap hits, they're they're relatively sure. cheap in their bargains, and it'd be worth a rental. So I, I think really this thing gets revisited closer. I think the deadline this year is March eighth. So you know, let's let's check check back in February. If the Jets are surprising and they're second in the Central, I don't think they're going to trade them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but if if they're middle of the pack or falling out, then all bets are off. Uh, before I let you go, you wrote a little bit about dry sidle and, and the Oilers being super locked in, in your mind, like, is this, is this, is this year finally their year and, and how, like, are they the favorites or one of the two or three best teams in the league going into next year? I think so. I think they're one of the two or three best teams in the West. I, I do not want to count out the avalanche. I do not want to rule out a Vegas Golden Knights repeat. They're pretty much, you know, Riley Smith aside, they're pretty much bringing back the same group. And I love how they they won their cup, like with depth, rolling all four lines. Their fourth line would play against the other team's top six. Their third pair would would log a ton of minutes. Uh, They could have five different goalies all year, and they, they still found a way. Uh, I love, I'm a big fan of Bruce Cassidy. I think he's a really smart coach. So I'm not ruling out them. Uh, are the Oilers amongst the group of contenders? Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if I, if I've ever been around two guys on the same team that kind of have the eye of the tiger that, that mm-hmm. McDavid and Dryside will have, you know, um, you know, I only see them maybe two, three times a year in person and get, and get to talk to them, but both of them, they just, you can just feel that they yeah. want it so bad um so driven and you know they both have a heart trophy like they don't care that much about the individual stuff anymore i think they really and i also think they have they recognize that the future is, is uncertain for dry because of the because of everything with hockey the the flat cap he's a, there's only two more years guaranteed two more cracks at it uh, maybe they they find a way, whoever the GM is in, in a couple years, to keep both these guys together. But that's not guaranteed. And I think they're smart enough that they realize that, and they, the time is is kind of now for them to get it done. Uh, so just I, I'm going to ask you just before I let you go. So who's who's your Stanley Cup? Way 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 too early prediction. Who's who are your oh. two favorites in in the East and the West, and and who's your your favorite to win the cup? Well. I, I I'll get some Canadian content in there. I'll say the Oilers in in the West, um, but uh, I'm gonna throw the Carolina Hurricanes out there. Uh, I think Every they're really balanced team. They're hey they they keep knocking on the door, right? Um, they've had some some horrible 
uh, semifinals, but uh, I really like the culture that they have there. I'm a big believer in Rod Brindamore and the, the program he runs. Uh, I think they they build a team the right way in terms of the their depth on, on defense. And um, yeah, I, I, I like some of their offseason moves. So I, I'll, I'll go with the Hurricanes. I, I just want to ask you quickly about uh, you wrote about Rod Brindamore, um, just about what he did after they lost against the Panthers. Just maybe talk about that because I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, so did I. So I was kind of a, a fly on the wall uh, last week in Vegas, and I sat in on some sessions with the 32 Thoughts guys, Elliot and Jeff. And um, so if, if someone said something really newsy, uh, they'd want me to spin a story out of it right away. Um, and that was, you know, mostly dominated with um, Bill Daly and Johnny Gaudreau talking about uh, Mike Babcock. But the Seth Jarvis interview, and I haven't spent that much time around Seth Jarvis, but he was really insightful. And I love the story he told about how after they got swept by the Florida Panthers, you know, Rod Brindamore, who's known for these rousing speeches and his great, you know, pregame or postgame pep talks, um, kind of went into the room, saw all the guys with their their heads hung and and they were just absolutely gutted. They lost to a team that they thought they were better than. They had home ice advantage, uh, but they got swept. Good teams, lost again. And he didn't say a word, uh, Seth Jarvis said, because basically the coach knew that words wouldn't matter at that point, that mm-hmm. you know uh, there was nothing he could say to cheer them up. But what he did was he sat down in the dress room just beside them, like he was one of yeah. them. And and Jarvis said it was it was like he had been on the ice with us, uh, and I thought that was just really cool. And maybe that and I think a lot of that stems from Brindamore being a player himself, and he's in there working in the working out in the gym alongside his players. Like if there's if there is a guy who's as close as close to being one of his players, it, it's Rod. So I, I thought that was a really cool touch, and and it was also neat that Seth Jarvis took note of it, right? Like he could have just gave a cliche answer about, oh, you know, we were disappointed. Mm-hmm. But come back but he, he he made a point to paint that scene um so i thought that was cool i just love to see video or, or pictures of rod brindamore benching way more than like everyone on the canes i think <laughs> this that guy's a freak and, and uh, yeah amazing work ethic so just uh just a gym wrap but uh luke thanks so much for doing this anything uh at sportsnet that you want to plug before i let you go uh no not in particular i mean uh Tuesday morning, my uh, Leafs camp preview comes out. So Leaf fans, uh, if you want to know about the the battles or you want to know who, who I'm predicting to make the opening night roster, it's all in there. Uh, so you can check that out. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, Alex. Thanks so much, Luke. I, everyone should check out your work. Uh, it's second to none on, on the Leafs. And uh, thanks so much for doing this, especially on a day like today. So thank you, Luke. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks.